It took Mr. Stanley Kubrick over 400 days of shooting to complete his final masterpiece titled Eyes Wide Shut. It is a masterpiece and Stanley believed it to be as well. After his first viewing of this film, he believed it to be his greatest work. Boy, that's hard to deny. There's something about this film. It's edgy. It's sexy. Sort of. But it has a lot to say. Please join me in the actor's room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and we're going to talk about Eyes Wide Shut, put out in 1999. It's kind of a Christmas movie. There are lights everywhere. Christmas lights everywhere. So Merry Christmas, Tom Cruise. Merry Christmas, Nicole Kidman. And Merry Christmas to the late, great Stanley Kubrick. Sit back, relax, grab that beverage of choice. Enjoy it. And here we go. Welcome to the Actors Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. This is episode 124. So welcome back, those of you who support the show. And maybe we have a few new listeners. Wouldn't that be great? And if you are new to the show, please check out my other episodes. I primarily highlight films, actors, and actresses. And every now and then, I will throw in a documentary that really fascinates me. So, here we go. Talking about... Kubrick's last film, titled Eyes Wide Shut. What's it mean? What's it all about? I've done a lot of research on this film for the past five years. I've been wanting to do this show since I started this podcast five years ago. It's one of the most intriguing films I've ever seen. Sure, it's got sex in it, and it's basically based around sex. (laughs) And sex is a great thing, right? Stanley also was intrigued with sex, but most men are. Stanley had no problem at all putting films out there that made you think and revolved around topics that were a bit edgy, controversial, and goddamn interesting. And this one is no different. I think it's his masterpiece. He felt the same way, and I wonder if you do too. Is it because it was his last film that it's so intriguing? Or was it because of the content? Stanley always brought to the screen a beautiful film. Every second of every scene means something. The details behind the characters mean something. After your fifth or sixth viewing of this movie, you start to do that. You look behind Tom Cruise, behind Nicole Kidman, at clues behind them. Because folks, they're out there. They're interesting. I may point out a few of those things, but that's something for you to look at. I don't need to point it out. I just want to give my take and my theory about what's real, what's not, and the like. So, I hope you enjoyed this show talking about Eyes Wide Shut. So here we go. First, I got to say, the performances. Let's get that out of the way. Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, Sidney Pollack, the big three in this film. Just incredible. Amazing, uh, inspirational. Uh, Kubrick wasn't an actor's director. He was a director. It was all about the, uh, the shot, how it looked, the feel. Uh, it was the actor's job to do just that, their fucking job. And if Stanley didn't like their performance, they did it over and over and over again. Some actors like this, but Stanley took it to levels of ridiculousness. That's not a word, but I just 
fucking made it up. Ridiculousness. That's why it took over 400 days to shoot. But those performances. Stanley did it. They did a fine job. Even more than that. You got to give props to these actors that were in this film. Because take after take takes a lot out of you. And it was explained. That pretty much everyone on set. Was at their wits end. Exhausted. (laughs) Just spent. And Tom Cruise is almost in every scene. And he looks fresh. I'm sure Tom Cruise treated this project. Just like he treats every project he does. In high regard. And so did everybody else. So just wanted to point out. The performances in this film were extraordinary considering that it's a Kubrick film and the circumstances around it were strenuous. So that's my take on that. Most of Stanley's films were based on books, which means he read a lot. And when his story intrigued him, he dug his teeth into it, felt the juices, Wanted to do it. And it helped him with the next step in his process. Turning that book into a film. Stanley Kubrick was not only a director, but he was a screenwriter. He took the book and made it his own. Loved the story and then made it into a film. Eyes Wide Shut was based on a book written in the late 1920s in Austria. The book's title was... Dream story. Let's say that one more time. The book that Eyes Wide Shut was based on was called Dream Story. So it just might be true that most of this film was based on a dream. So how much of the film itself is a dream? Because that's what I think. And there are people out there that think the whole film is based in reality. But in a dreamlike state or just a dreamlike feel, I disagree. I think most of this film was meant to be just that, a dream. And you're wondering, well, how much of it, from my perspective, is a dream? All the way up into when the two main characters, Bill and Alice, are smoking marijuana in their bedroom. So what happens before that? Bill and Alice are invited to a Christmas party at someone that is in high society. Now, mind you, Bill is a doctor, a very well-known doctor, young, good-looking, and I guess his practice is very popular in the circles of high society because Bill would not be invited to a high society party if they didn't like him or if he wasn't a good doctor And so on. Bill is introduced into a life that he doesn't know about but is very intrigued with. And the man that invites him, the high society guy, is named Ziegler, I believe. And that's played by Sidney Pollack. Very well done by Pollack. I've, you know, made my uh, opinion on the performances. And I think almost every actor in this movie did a fine job. Except for maybe Nick. And we'll get to him later. So it is my belief that Bill and Alice have been invited to this Christmas party every year for, I would say, maybe the past five years. So this might be their third, fourth, or fifth time going to this party once a year on Christmas. And I think I've been pretty uptight about attending this party. This year might be a little different, and I think you see that in the film. Bill and Alice sort of let their hair down this year at the party by drinking a little bit more than they should. Both of them get a bit tipsy and are separated at one point in the party. Alice, played by Nicole Kidman, was approached by an older gentleman, very distinguished, of course. And he says he's Hungarian, and he starts sweeping her Off her feet. Flirting with her. Complimenting her on how beautiful she is. And 
uh, Nicole's character, Alice, is visibly tipsy and sort of enjoying the attention. Who wouldn't? And is sort of going with it. I want to note the pace of this scene is extremely slow. Almost so slow. It's annoying. But it's done for a reason. Stanley Kubrick wanted that scene to be extremely slow. To set up the rest of the film. It's based around Alice's sort of sexual drive. And how it's different from a man's drive. Right? But not necessarily. Because that's sort of just how we view the difference between the sexual drive of a man and a woman. They're just different. Men think with their dicks. And women need to be sort of romanticized to get into the mood. That might be true. But the sex drives are about the same. Uh, We'll get into that maybe a little bit more detail in a while when we get back to Bill and Alice on their bed smoking a joint. But we're setting that up with showing the very beginning of the film and how important that is. Slow moving, yes, but setting up how the rest of this film will go. So Alice is getting hit on, enjoying it. Slow moving scene, setting things up. Then we get Bill, played by Tom Cruise. And he's with two beautiful young foreign girls that are intrigued with this handsome young doctor. So he's getting hit on as well. So here they are, separately getting hit on at this party, feeling a bit special, but also letting it be known that they're married. Both of them are married. And while Bill is getting hit on, he needs to be taken away from this situation because the host of the party, Ziggler, had a woman up in his room ODing on drugs. So happens that Ziggler can't keep it in his pants for one night (laughs) at his own party. He has to have sex with the prostitute during his party uh, and the prostitute nearly ODs on a speedball. So Bill has to go and save this situation so Ziggler doesn't have a dead prostitute in his bedroom. But I think this is important in how this whole thing is set up. This ridiculous situation. Ziggler with a prostitute in his house on the night of the Christmas party having sex upstairs is so outrageous. It sets Bill off in a weird way in his head. This party is getting really strange. (laughs) I'm getting hit on and these two beautiful girls are kind of wanting to have sex with me. And then I'm whisked away to save the host of the party from having a dead hooker in his room. So it's so outlandish and crazy and sexual that it's planted in the mind of Bill just how strange and weird this other world is that he just doesn't understand but does exist in this other reality and Stanley Kubrick was big into this other reality because Stanley himself had knowledge and witnessed this other reality and as big as Stanley Kubrick was In real life. And a big a deal as Stanley was. In the entertainment field. He wasn't high society. And I will argue this. Up, down, left, right, front, back. All the way around. People saying that Stanley was involved. In all sorts of crazy, demented, deviant, high society stuff. And I say it's a hell of a theory. But it's not mine. I think Stanley was definitely privy to certain information because he was sort of a shown behind the curtain from time to time, but only to benefit those in high society. Stanley didn't truly know the depths of the crap that high society does, but he had a pretty good idea. And he loved to dive 
into that and try to understand it. And with this film, that's what he wanted to do. I don't know how long Stanley knew about all this stuff, but I think it was a while. He wanted to do this film in the late 70s. It took him 20 years to do it. And he wanted a Hollywood couple to be the two leads. Originally, it was supposed to be Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Interesting. Then it was supposed to be Steve Martin at one point as the Tom Cruise character. And I say that was a completely different spin at that time. And that was an idea batted around in the 80s when Steve Martin was at his height. But it ultimately became Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And thank God. It would have been such a completely different movie back in the 80s or the 70s. But I'm kind of getting off the point. The point is, Stanley was definitely intrigued with high society. Folks, look at his movies. Especially Barry Lyndon, his most underrated film, was centered on how to kind of get in to the high society uh, realm. I mean, that's what it was all about. Stanley, deep down, wanted to be a part or or know all the intimate details. Did Stanley know about all that stuff? Or did he just have an idea of it and then made it his own and did probably a pretty damn good job <laughs> at figuring out certain things? Did Stanley Kubrick know what the hell was going on? Or did he just sort of give us his best theory about what went on? And I think Stanley, I think he probably knew more than you think. (laughs) He's such a fascinating character. And in this film, he's kind of like Bill. And from what I believe... Stanley sort of saw himself as Bill in this film. He identified with the Bill character and everything surrounding him sexually. (laughs) And there we go. Let's get to the marijuana scene. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, husband and wife at the time. I heard they were kind of on rocky ground that time. I think that's what Stanley wanted. Uh, And if that's not what he wanted, that's what he got. The Hollywood couple, right? Smoking weed and it looks like they're stoned, folks. I think they were. They may not have. I think Tom looked pretty fucking stoned. And Nicole Kidman acted completely fucking stoned. I give both those actors props for that scene. It was well done. Uh, Nicole Kidman blew me away as an actress in that scene. She is laughing, uh, serious. It's obvious that either she knows what it's like to be really high uh, and portrayed it well, or both of them did get stoned for that scene. And of course, when you're stoned, you start bringing up stuff, you know, topics you probably wouldn't if you were sober. So Alice, played Mike Kidman, mentions that she noticed Bill was away. And what was he doing? Talking to those beautiful girls. And uh, Bill explains nothing was happening. Just flirting. And then mentioned to his wife, I saw you with that older gentleman. You know, what was going on there? What did he want from you? And of course, Alice explains, gee, I think he probably wanted to have sex with me. (laughs) And Bill says, well, I can see why you're a very attractive woman. And let's just put it this way. And I mentioned it before about the whole sex drive thing. I, you know, I think that being a man... I can never truly know what it's like to have the sex drive of a woman. It might be the same. And if you're not the other sex, you don't truly know. I think men can be turned on a little easier than a woman. But it doesn't mean that a woman's sex drive is any less. And I think that's what Nicole Kidman's character tries to tell Tom Cruise. 
Because Cruz explains, you know, guys just think with their dicks. And we all know what men are thinking. They're thinking, I just want to have sex with this beautiful woman that's standing beside me or dancing with me. And he sort of gets it that this older Hungarian guy wants to probably have sex with my wife. She's beautiful. And he gets it. He's not saying it's right. But we all know what men are thinking. And Alice explains that you don't know shit. (laughs) Women could just as well find another man so attractive that she would drop everything. Give up everything for one moment, one night with that very attractive person. This blows Tom away. It, It flips his world. And everything becomes different now. Not only because Nicole Kidman's character, Alice, drops this bombshell on her husband saying, there was a time in the summer where I saw this Navy man. I don't know if he was a corporal or I was looking for the title. I don't know. This guy in the Navy in his suit His outfit, his uniform, looking all sexy. She said that there was that time. I would have just given up everything to be with this man for one night. And Tom's character is just devastated by this information. And like I said, world turned upside down. And it is my opinion that at this point, setting this all up here, uh, both of them stoned. In this information going into Bill's head, his mind, his heart and soul does something to him. And that's when this dream sequence starts for me. Because I think that after that moment, there is some time where Bill slash Tom Cruise takes a moment and is just sort of staring off, processing it. This is where it cuts off for me. I think that being that stoned and it being at night, Bill and Alice eventually go to sleep. And you get the whole dream sequence taking off. Bill falls asleep at this point and the rest of this film is a dream. It might be a very unpopular opinion. And I might be the only person (laughs) who's watched this movie several times and have come to this conclusion that Bill is now, the rest of the film, dreaming. So let's give uh, reasons, my reasons why I believe this. I know you're probably scratching your head going, uh, no, I think that the whole movie was real. It was just sort of given in Stanley's take on it and directing style in a dreamlike state. But it's real. I really do believe it was a dream. Uh, the novel he read and fell in love with, enjoyed so much to make it into a film, was called Dream Story. I think it's a dream. I do. And here we go. Here's some reasons why I believe that. Uh, Taking a look at all of his interactions, his relationships with all the other women characters, most of them, if not all of them, are very similar to his wife, Alice. They all have red hair. All kind of Barbie figured like. Uh, What are the odds that most, if not all, of the women you encounter from that point on are going to look pretty much the same. How many redheads do you know? A couple? If you're not in a redheaded family, how many redheads do you know? Like I said, not many. Tom encounters all these redheaded women? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's not impossible. It's extremely unlikely. And also, all of them, all of them want to have sex with him. I get it. Bill is very attractive. Tom Cruise is a very attractive young man at that time. In the late 90s, not too bad looking. But I don't know if every single woman he encounters later on in that film would want to have sex with him. 
once again, possible. Absolutely. Likely? No, not really. I think Tom was really turned on by the fact those two girls at the party wanted him. Sort of a threesome. Boy, that'll set off all those fantasy factors going on in your mind. (laughs) That party really spiced up his imagination. And when he fell asleep that night, boy, did he have a dream. He was startled by the information he got from his wife and also excited about the prospect of not only going to that high society party and what Ziegler had upstairs, that really attractive model, you know, this whole world that he sort of wanted to be involved with played into his dream, this fantastical dream dealing with everything going on in his mind at that point in his life. So at this point, I want to point out another very important character in this story, and that's Nick, the piano player. Now, mind you, Nick is the only person that Tom recognizes or knows at the party in the beginning of the film, the high society party. Of course, Nick isn't in the high society. He's a piano player. But Nick and Bill went to medical school together. Bill approaches Nick after he's done playing the piano. They reminisce, talk about why Nick didn't follow through in becoming a doctor. And Nick is the side of Bill's psyche during his dream that connects him with the high society. Nick is sort of the go-between guy. A connection. Bill knows of this high society stuff, but he doesn't know the intimate details. Nick is sort of the key yes, but the go-between. And at that plays into his dream. Because in his dream, he meets up with Nick at a club that Nick's playing with. And then the prospect of this high society party, this sex party, is now laid out on the table, literally, to Bill. And this prospect does intrigue Bill because he's so torn right now. Just having that information about his wife sleeping with some other guy. Although it didn't happen. It's just the idea of it. And the possibility that his wife could have made that decision that night. And having that visual in his mind. A husband seeing his wife with another man. Makes them insane. I think about that very thing right now. As I'm talking. My wife with another man. It enrages me to the point where I can't even think. And that's where Bill was in this dream sequence. That thought, the idea of his wife with another man made him want to rebel, lash out, just go experience all of this. And sort of like a fuck you to her. Like, you could do that. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to go to this party. Why not? And he does. And this is part of the film where my dream sequence sort of makes sense. So out there. I mean, the idea that an old friend from medical school happens to be a piano player to all these high society sex game stuff. It's so ridiculous. There's no way in heaven Or in hell. That some high society uh, sex game ritual stuff going on in these mansions. Okay. They're going to have some piano player that does clubs in the area. Walk into their building. Ain't ever going to happen. And it's sort of crazy. Childish. And silly. To think that Stanley would lay that on my feet and me to buy it. I don't buy it. (laughs) I just don't buy it. They aren't that stupid. These high society people. No way. uh, That's why it's sort of just, 
even if the original story done in the late 20s, okay, had that possibility, it would be completely different in today's standards. Like, it just wouldn't happen. So that uh, cements it for me a little bit more that it was a dream. And that was the Nick character. Was just sorting how a Bill can get in to this party. And how he was able to walk through those doors and see things that he should never, ever see. Or have the ability or allowance to see it. So Nick, the piano player, right, gives Bill the password to get in the house. Fidelio. A Beethoven piece. Wonderful. He gets in. He gets in the house. Okay. Has his taxi cab outside. That ain't a red flag. Anyway. (laughs) He's late. He walks into the big room where this ceremony is taking place. And folks, let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, Do these things actually happen? I think they do. This part in the film. Do these things happen? Yeah. They do. Uh, Stanley knew they did. Okay. They happened. Um, and I think that, uh, this film actually being made is a miracle. I can't believe they actually released this movie. And like you, you watch this, you go, it's just a fantasy and people, they might believe that this stuff happens and, you know, probably doesn't, but it's just, you know, that's crazy to think about these things. It happens, folks. The shit, like these people. That live these other lives are, you know, beyond the almost uh, the ridiculous amounts of money you think a millionaire makes. We're talking over that. We're talking uh, the big money, the filthy inheritance uh, money that never ends liquid. Okay. These people have way too much time on their hands and are so privileged. They think there's something special. Okay. And the reason behind why they do these things, we could talk about that maybe at another time because I think it goes pretty deep. Uh, It could simply be having kinky sex. And that's it. But these things do occur and have been going on for a long fucking time. These really rich people and uh, what they do at parties. So this played into the dream and something that intrigued Stanley and seeing himself as Bill and going into a party like this and seeing firsthand what happens. Really creepy shit. And I want to note That a very important part that Stanley put in. And it's so weird this moment. When Tom Cruise's character Bill first walks into the big hall. Where this ceremony's taking place. Mind you, everybody else is in place. I mean, they're already doing the ceremony. Who knows how long they're into it. It looks like they're probably in the beginning. It could be like right in the middle or near the end. Who knows? Tom Cruise walks in and he looks up and he sees one of them. They're all in masks, of course. Nobody could see who the other person is. Everybody's in a mask. So the guy standing with a woman on the balcony looks at Tom Cruise. Why? People ask that. Why does he look at Tom Cruise? Is there some sort of hidden meaning behind the fact that he looks at Tom Cruise's character? No, there's no mystery at all. Bill showed up late to this fucking ritual that everybody else was in time for. Okay, except this guy. Right off the bat, he sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. This guy is not supposed to be here. It's obvious. Okay. That's why that guy in the balcony looked down and gave him a nod. That nod by that guy in the balcony 
was, hello, stranger. We're going to have some fun with you, sir. And everybody's sort of uh, endgame in this situation might be a bit different from the other person. The guy that gave the nod on the balcony, his end game might be a bit different from probably the ringmaster of this whole thing. Think about that because after the whole ceremony, Bill is warned by one of the beautiful women in the circle. And those of you who have seen the film, this ritual has a, a, a circle of beautiful women all looking like Barbie dolls, pretty much like Nicole Kidman. So that's no mystery. This is a, some fantastical dream. And why would all these women have the exact same body type, look so much like his wife? He's being warned. How does the girl know that Tom Cruise Bill... Is different from everybody else. She wouldn't folks. That's fantastical. That's ridiculous. I've personally. I think it's an insult. To my uh, cinema viewing. uh, My analysis of films. That. That makes sense at all. That one of the women. In the sex game circle. Who wasn't paying attention. To who's walking in. Would know to. Give Tom Cruise's character a warning. It doesn't make any sense. She wouldn't have known. Tom Cruise brushes off the warning. And walks around the rest of the house. Viewing uh, people having sex. And you know so on and so forth. This other world. And then the guy that nods on the balcony. Comes up behind Tom Cruise. With the girl at his side. Whispering something to her. And pointing out. Please approach this guy. Why does that happen? Why does the man who gave him the nod in the balcony want to approach Cruz? Because he's separated from what is about to happen next. The girl goes up to Tom Cruz and wants to take him away, but is interrupted by the girl that's supposed to warn Tom once again. What's the importance of this scene? I'll tell you what my theory is. The nodder guy, I want to call him the nodder guy, (laughs) has a different agenda with Tom Cruise. He He knows that Tom Cruise, his character, is not supposed to be there. An outsider. I think this has happened before. And wants to get him off somewhere in a very uncompromised situation and blackmail him. For his own personal gain. But of course is intercepted. By another warning. And then eventually going into the room. Where everybody's standing. To scare the living shit out of him. And scare the living shit out of him they do. Imagine being in that situation. Being as brazen. As Bill was. Walking into this. Extraordinary circumstance of. Sex games galore. And. Masks and weird stuff going on I'd be scared out of my mind There's no way in hell I would ever Put myself in that position Heaven forbid you're caught He's caught He's surrounded by these people He doesn't know who these people are But I'm pretty sure they're powerful people And can get away With with whatever they want I know I couldn't talk there Because I'm scared Just talking about it Being in that position I mean, Bill is a successful doctor. Does very well for himself. But he ain't part of that world. Okay. Uh, So he's in this situation and now danger sets in. He's confronted. And the main guy, Red Cloak, tells him to take off his clothes. Uh, Bill says, "Uh, guys, (laughs) take a step back. Okay, I fucked up. I shouldn't have been here. My bad. Shame on me. Uh, my mind got away from me. I, I, please don't do this <laughs> because he's thinking, okay, they're asking me to get naked. He's going to be taken advantage of in a very unruly way. This is a sex party. There's some uh, devious things going on. And uh, from where he's seeing this situation right now, currently, they could do whatever the hell they want to him and probably get away with it. 
But once again, the beautiful red-headed uh, person, woman, warning Bill throughout the entire sex game sequence, says she's going to give up uh, herself. She will be the sacrificial lamb in order to save Bill. What a load of garbage. And of course, is just one big extravagant game. A play act to scare Bill. And it's even shown by Stanley's directing. They actually take this girl off at one point to talk to her. They're setting stuff up to scare the shit out of Bill. And that's what they do. Okay. And Bill's scared in his dream. And gets the fuck out. He spends the rest of the film trying to find out what the hell's going on. Okay. Uh, Trying to patch things up in his psyche. Still confused about his wife. Still wondering if he should just have sex with whoever. It doesn't even matter who he's going to have sex with. Uh, going deeper into the film, of course, there's a prostitute he almost sleeps with. Uh, there's a situation where he goes and visits a patient who died in their home and is confronted with the daughter of the man who dies who wants to have sex with him and is like, no, but then reconsiders later in the film. He's willing to have sex with anybody now just to get back at his wife. He's so pissed about the situation. And then everything comes crashing down when he finds out that the girl who warned him at the party ends up dead. Now, I think in the dream, this is the crashing down moment where he's starting to wake up soon. (laughs) And if you know in your dream, it seems like a week in your dream. But in reality, it's like five seconds. But anyways, okay. Moment to moment in his dream. He's going to be waking up soon. This all has to sort of make sense. You know, she sacrificed herself. Is she dead? Is she not? Oh, she is. And now we have to make sense of this reality in his dream. He now searches out the reason why this woman is dead. It's because of me and my mistake and my sexual uh, confusions and my drive. Like... It's now creating this turmoil and death. This this sacrificial thing that something has to die inside me in order for me to attain my sexual goals, my inconsistencies, my sensitivities, my insecurities. I mean, admit it, folks. Everybody's got their crazy things going on inside. And this character does too. Stanley did too. That's why he did this film. He saw himself in Bill and how everything you feel about your sexual drive and, and, and coming to terms with your kinks or certain things that don't make sense or just making uh, something in your sexual world come to life through the screen and having it make sense in that way. The book that Stanley read, it touched him so much to make this film, to dive into the psyche of of just that. Sax. This movie is based around that. That can't be denied. But it's done in a dreamlike way. And Bill has to face this. At the end of the film. When he finally is confronted by Ziggler. The man who kicked us all off. At his fucking high society party. It all comes around. Ziggler sets him down. And he explains... To Bill. I know what's going on. Bill denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. Ziegler says. Bill. I was there. I saw everything. And Bill is confronted. <laughs> with this, his uh, sexual inconsistencies. At that point in his dream. It all sort of. It's not. A dream anymore. He's going to be waking up soon. And he has to deal with it. And Ziggler, boom, it's right there. We're talking about it right now. We're settling everything and we're doing it right now. And Bill is sort of given the reality of the situation. Okay. There's certain things you shouldn't know about. Okay. I know what you're going through right now. Okay. You're confused. You're scared. I had you followed. 
I know what's going on. Bill, what the hell were you thinking? Going outside your marriage. Not so much, what were you thinking just going to that party? What were you thinking about going outside your marriage? Yeah, your wife told you a dream that she had. Your wife told you about a time she considered for a fucking brief moment of going outside your marriage. She didn't, but she just thought about it. So in the dream, he's confronted with everything and is told that the high society sex party didn't kill this girl. She was a drug addict. She died on her own accord. It's a crazy world. Don't fret. People die every day. You know it, and I know it. Bill, live your life. Do the best you can. Don't give in. Don't get too curious. There's certain things you just don't understand. And you won't ever understand. And it ends with Bill (laughs) spilling his heart out and telling his wife all that he's been feeling. All that he went through in his dream. And what he's learned. And ultimately, he just wants to be with his wife. And at the end, the very end, they're shopping with their daughter. And there's teddy bears everywhere. This is significant. Stanley had a thing about teddy bears. It signified sexual deviancy. It's as simple as that. It's not about pedophilia. Okay. People think it's about pedophilia in the film. It's not. It's sexual deviancy. Teddy bears. I don't know why. Maybe uh, something happened to Stanley in his childhood that was a little weird and kinky. And a teddy bear was involved. And bing, that's all it takes. So that's, that's my spin on it. Whatever. But I mean, let's just put it this way, folks. The very last word in the script and in the film is fuck. And that is what the movie is all about. Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. Am I insane? It's just my spin. It's just my theory. I've watched the film a lot. And maybe I've just dived into it a bit too much. But it is my take. And before I end the episode, I gotta talk about the fact that Stanley Kubrick passed Not shortly after completing the film. Was it a coincidence? And for a while I believed that Stanley was taken care of. Because he might have put out there things that he shouldn't have. But my conclusion after all the research I did. And just my belief. Or feel about what happened to Stanley. Was a coincidence. Okay, I don't think he was killed off. I think it just happened. I think a lot was taken away from him during the making of this film. 400 days of shooting. He put his whole heart and soul into this one. It just happened. I think he was 70. He wasn't young. Uh, He passed. I don't think he was snuffed out by high society. I don't think they were too concerned about Stanley. There are rumors that he faked the moon landing. I, I don't know if I believe that, folks. I need to find a lot more information on that. I think there's a lot of rumors about it. And it's something maybe I'll dive into more. I, I just may not know enough about it. Stanley was definitely involved with high society. But how high could he go without being high society? Because Stanley Kubrick was not high society. I think he yearned to be in that world, or yearned to just know about it. Fantasize about it, he did. And we see a bit of that in Eyes Wide Shut. And the title says it all. Eyes Wide Shut. Which means his eyes were closed. Folks, God bless you. Hope you have a great day, great night. Thank you for listening. Always tune in to the Actors Room to find out more about actors, shows, movies, and documentaries. 
For me, it's the holiday. Merry Christmas, everyone. And if you're listening and it's after Christmas, hope you have a happy new year and so on. God bless you. Have a good one.